Star Wars universe. And uh, there was a quote in that um, that says, rebellions are built on hope. And, and, and the thing is, you, from that point, you've sort of got, some people go, oh, like, are you, are you asking us to do this just primarily built on hope? And others sort of say, there is no hope. We've got no chance. And so, and today, as we, we, as we continue this series called Rebuild, I want us to sort of, I suppose, with that in mind, that, that's, um, that idea, because what happens after this clip is that initially they're, they're all going to run away and hide, except this, Young lady basically drags together a few people that have got to find something they don't know where it is, and just so that they can bring about like um, a, 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 just a possibility of of rebellion and transformation. And from that, for those who don't know, that that's where the original three Star Wars movies kick off. And so, so there was this little bit of hope that. So George Lucas actually loved it because there was a lot of hope for him. So he he made a lot of money out of that afterwards. But but the thing is, this this idea of this story like sort of comes in and and builds on hope. And it's the same for Nehemiah because uh, and and the people especially around. And we're going to be looking at that today, especially around that passage that uh, Sally read for us. Because again, when there is when you get to the point of no hope, life becomes very difficult. Um, and and the thing is. When you hear the word hope, it actually is, can be defined in lots of different ways. I'm going to look at some of those um, briefly, just to sort of, I suppose, set the definition of what we want to be looking at today. Because hope can be like, um, we can have expectant hope. Now, what do I mean by expectant hope? Expectant hope is um, like, okay, you get up really early one morning and you're travelling to Brisbane and you go, I hope I'm there by lunchtime. Now, the thing is, because you've left early and you know it's going to take this much time, there's, there's actually a good expectation that you'll arrive when you plan to arrive. Now, if I leave at 12 and go, I want to be there by 12.30 and it's going to take seven hours, well, that's not, that'd be foolishness and not based in reality. But if I leave at five in the morning, I expect to be there by lunchtime. I hope I'm there by lunchtime. It might be, I, I hope to get a good mark in the assessment I'm doing because I've studied hard, I've worked hard, and I hope to get a sort of response to that as well. Some of you go, I work hard and nothing comes of it, so you may, may enter and maybe not be expecting hope. You hope to get a present for your birthday or for Christmas. Like, okay, for those who are still young enough and my mum and dad still look after you, you kind of go, oh, I'm expecting that I'll have something come my way on those days. It's, it's not a, a real a sense of foolishness. I'm not wishing that I get, um, I get a present. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to come my way. I may not get what I want, but I'm pretty sure I'll get something. Um, and as we spoke about last week, we spoke about the idea of rebuilding momentum. And the thing is, when momentum is working really, really well for you, um, expectant hope often sort of um, partners up with that really, really well. If you see people coming to know Christ in your church, all of a sudden you actually have a hope that, you know what, I can share my faith as well. If you see um, like our bills being covered, you have an expected hope that, um, um, that is, that's sort of going to keep happening. And you can make plans for that. If you sort of ex- you see momentum happening, and all of a sudden, I expect that this will keep on going. And sometimes you, your momentum takes a bit of a hit. We talked about that last week, and all of a sudden, your hope may take a bit of a hit at the same time. So there is expectant hope. Now there's wishful hope. No, so wishful hope is is where you kind of hope for something, but it's not really not really realistic. Um, I'm I'm hoping that when mum and dad do buy me that. Um, um, present, it's a new Ferrari. Like, it's, it's not going to be really based in reality there. 
um, unless they buy your matchbox one, and then it might be might have a chance. Um, it could be a wishful hope that, like, I hope I'm going to win the lottery this week, even though I don't enter it. It's a wishful hope. It's it's not going to be based any kind. And even if you are entering it, it's probably still a wishful hope. You're not really got the, the chances of winning the lottery aren't really high. They're not really in your favour. And so some people go, you know what? I'm going to put this in, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've got this hope that's going to come back my way. And 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 whatever kind of mojo they put on that. Um, so you've got wishful hope, and wishful hope can actually sort of even then, it can sort of cross into our lives at times where we've kind of got a, a hope that something will happen. It's not really, not really expected, um, and, but we live in a way that, oh, maybe that'll come our way. I remember when I was younger, I, one of those competitions that you enter on the back of, I don't even know what it was, and it was like you won $15,000. And at the time, I think it was one of the first competitions I entered, and I had this wishful hope, but it was more like an expectant hope, I entered and I'm going to win. And I still haven't won to this day. Like, I, like those things don't happen. And I'm going, and it, I'm going, it's just, it's, I'm still waiting to win that caravan. I'm waiting to win that house. I'm waiting to, it doesn't, doesn't happen. And so it's a wishful hope. The next step is actually, um, where sometimes our wishful hope goes to is a false hope. Now, the false hope is, seems to be there's a self-sufficiency in it until a time of testing comes. Because the thing is, hope is really needed when things go bad. Would you agree with that? Like, you, the thing is, mo- most, like most expectant hope operates at a good level. So, again, we have an expectant hope the sun will rise and, and it will come our way. But the thing is, if you've got a false hope, like, again, you might have a house that's built in a flood area and going, oh, it hasn't flooded here in years, I'll be right. And then the rains come and you're going, oh, okay, no, it's all good. It's only up a little bit. It's only up a little bit. It's only up a little bit. There's a crocodile in my lounge room. Um, and all of a sudden you've sort of based it on something that is not a reality. That everyone said that when it floods, your house will flood. And you go, oh, no, I don't believe it. It's a false hope. Sometimes we have a false hope where we trust in, in ourselves to provide for all our needs or we trust in people to do all, all those things or um, we, we actually have a false hope even when it comes to church because we go, but I go to church, God wouldn't do that to me or I go to church, I'll be in heaven. I go to church and I'm a good person and so therefore I, I have that's what I base my hope in. I said, well, the Bible never says that if you go to church 100% of the time you get into heaven, it says if you believe in Jesus and trust in him, you will go to heaven. There's a very different thing that we base our hope on. And so false hope becomes this thing that when trials come our way, all of a sudden we can get hit and we go, oh, that, that, that really sort of messes up on life a bit. And all of a sudden we're finding the thing that is this foundation for us is stripped away. And so, um, and, and you can see it in times you can hop in a, a, a canoe that has like, it's, you go, oh yeah, it's floating, it's floating. And all of a sudden you, you swing, you're paddling out and it's sort of like, oh, actually there's a little bit of water coming up, a little bit of water. It'll be right. It'll be right until you've got a submarine. And so it doesn't, those things that we trust in at times that are false hope become, um, very, very dangerous, especially when we are hit, especially in a year like this. And that's the thing. I've seen people that all of a thing, all of a sudden, the things that they trusted upon weren't there for them to to rely upon, and so it got stripped away from them. And so, how do we? How do you sort of overcome that? Well, if you go through a, a period of false hope or realizing that you've got false hope, it can lead to this next one, which is no hope. There are times 
where we can't see where the hope is. Um, hopelessness is one of those things that it, it has invaded our society. Um, we, we see it in so many different ways. We, we see people basically, um, in physical ways, we see people become addicted to different things so that they can just create some kind of moment that they can base their life on because they don't see any reason out of it. Um, you're going to have people who go, oh, I'm unemployed, I, I can't find a job, I'm never going to get out of this. Um, they could have family breakdowns, they could have medical breakdowns, they go, I can't see any way out of this. And, and that's where I want to pick up today with what Sally read earlier because um, it's what's happening in Jerusalem. And so basically I want to pick up five problems that were happening uh, in Jerusalem at the time. So just to catch up those who have missed any weeks, Nehemiah is back in the capital of, of um, Persia and he hears that his, um, his home city of Jerusalem, uh, the walls are down and the temple gates are down. And it actually really upsets him to go, the people got sent back decades ago and they still are living in poverty. They, they're still living like outcasts in their own land. And so he prays, he actually rebuilds his relationship with God, he rebuilds his faith in God and, and through that he asks the king to support the work that he's doing. He comes back and then um, basically he rebuilds his vision and, and rebuilds the vision of those people that are there. And in so doing, they, they, they actually their vision grows out of the faith of Nehemiah. And so they, they get to this idea of starting to build the wall. And so last week we spoke about rebuilding momentum. Now momentum is one of those things. When momentum is moving, it's actually really easy to keep it going. You can steer it a bit. But when, when momentum hits something, so if you're in a car and you crash into a wall, momentum stops. And so you've got to get momentum going again. So, um, so if you've stopped in momentum, we should have said, one of the things you've got to do is take that first step. You've actually got to start moving in the direction that God wants. And I'm talking about godly momentum here. And so you need to move in that, that set direction. And so, again, the people of, of Israel, of, of Judah, they were, they built what was right in front of them. They took a responsibility for a small task and they started working on that. But as they did, everyone beside them, either all the way around the city, they were all building that wall and building it back up till they got to halfway. So when opposition came, when, when things came to drag their momentum down, they were able to sort of look back to God and keep on going. And so basically chapter 5 falls after this and what we see is that the Jews have been back in Jerusalem for, for decades, probably close to 100 years, um, and they did not have what was sufficient for them to support the growing population. They just didn't have it there. And, and so all of a sudden you had some people who had been coming back in later years and they came back with wealth. They had what they needed. But you had people living in squalor. And, and so what they ended up doing, they, they would do all kinds of things. So they would um, sell off, uh, they'd mortgage their properties and, and they would sell off their, their family. Um, so, so parents, that's not allowed today. You can't sell off your parents, uh, sell off your children. Uh, kids, you can't sell off your parents either, but it doesn't work either way. But again, in the Jewish system, what you would do with that is that you could actually, again, if you followed the law, and this didn't always happen, is that you could sell off your land and then after a period of time it would come back to you. So it's more like a long-term lease uh, arrangement. And you could sell off your family as slaves to, to other family members and again, after a period of time, um, they would come back but again, the law wasn't 
always been followed at this point in time. And so basically what they're saying, there's also a recent famine and that basically affected the ability to grow crops and supply. And now, now to add to it, as Nehemiah was getting all these people, they were working on the wall day and night and all of a sudden we were running out of food. We're running out of the things that we actually need to live. On top of that, like because Israel was now under the Persian Empire, they were required to pay taxes to um, basically continue supporting the governor, and that's what Nehemiah was. They were meant to pay taxes to support all the sort of the infrastructure around. Um, and then the leaders were also then taking advantage of people uh, rather than helping those in need. So they were going, "Yeah, I'll buy your, I'll buy your daughter off you, and I'll put it away." Oh, yep, oh, you, you're really struggling financially here, so oh, you can mortgage your land to me. And it just got them into a worse and worse mess, and they weren't able to do anything about it. So there were four groups actually represented in this passage. There were the large families who were struggling to buy food for everyone. And I'm not talking about going, okay, oh, we've got nothing in the cupboard tonight. It would have been days and weeks all joined together saying, we don't have enough. We don't have enough to live on. Um, they were forced to sell property and buy food. Um, they had no property to sell, so they were forced to sell their children. And then there were the leaders who were taking advantage of them. So this was the situation that they found them and so found themselves in. And so they got to a point that they felt like they've got no hope. And they're crying out to Nehemiah, saying, "Nehemiah, we can't go on like this." And again, we hear that crying, "Well, we can't go on like this." Where is our hope from? What can we do? And again, you get to that point and we feel like we've got no hope. And see, this is where we have this different opportunity because we are in Christ. We, we move from no hope to desperate hope. Now, desperate hope is basically grabbing on to that promise of, of what God has said and holding on to it in spite of everything else happening in your world, going, hey, this is not going to work. And it doesn't sort of say that we're not going to go through difficult times. It doesn't say we're going to be financially abundant. It doesn't say we're going to have everything we want. It doesn't say that. But it says there is something that is true that you can hang on to, holding on to one little thing, holding on to the promise of God. Desperate hope in Jesus will get us through the darkest of times. If you're in a place where you have no reason to go on living, that is a point that you need to grab onto Jesus and, and hang on to him for dear life. Desperate hope is that um, when you fall off a cliff and you grab onto that one last branch and you are hanging on for dear life, you're saying, hold on little roots, don't let go of me. And it's, it's the same thing. It doesn't mean that things are going to get easier, but because Jesus Christ is a sure thing, when we reach up and we grab him in desperation, he grabs onto us. And all of a sudden we don't need to let go. We, 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 just, we, we have got a certainty. And again, we, it may mean going through a difficult time, but Jesus being present every step of the way. It may mean that we face loss, but Jesus is still with us. It may mean that we, we face uncertainty, but Jesus is still with us. It may mean that we don't know what's happening tomorrow, but Jesus is with us right now. And that is why people around the world who live in sort of dire situations as points of not only peace in their life, but of also joy and hope. Why? Because they know that Jesus is present with them in their lives. A few years ago, I was at a Scripture Union event and, and they were talking about people that are persecuted for their faith in places like India. And they said, these Christians live with true joy in their life. 
But why? They're getting beaten. They're getting arrested. They're getting persecuted. Why? Because they know that their hope is based on the certainty of Jesus Christ. And see, this leads us to this idea that we not only have the ability to have hope at desperate times, but it gives us a confidence of hope. And this is probably where I want to get to in our definition today, because a lot of times when we talk about hope, it's a, a wishful thing. I hope this all works out. I hope people are here at church on time. I hope people do this. I hope this happens. I hope um, I hope that person give me back my mower that I, they borrowed of me. It's it's a, based on this wishful idea. But the thing is, when it comes to God, it's actually a confidence that we have in hope. The Word of God says much about hope, but it never does it with using the term meaning uncertainty or doubt. Like, and that, that's how we often use the word hope. Oh, yeah, it's not a sure thing. It's a possible thing. It's a thing I want to happen. But when God uses the word hope, there is a confidence that we can have in it. See, faith accepts the gift of promise. Hope confidently expects the fulfillment of that promise. So again, when we get into God's word and we see what he promised to us and what he, he says he will do and who he is and, and that song we sung this morning, Waymaker, all of a sudden those things... God, they won't change. All of a sudden, that is where our hope is. It is in a certain person. Now, the thing is, in saying that we've got confidence and hope, this is where we've got to make sure we don't get it confused. We can't hope that everything will be okay all the time. That's not what God says. In fact, He actually promises if you follow me, you will have trials because you follow me. In fact, some people will attack you because you follow me. So again, that first one, can't hope that everything will be okay all the time. And so when we face trials, it doesn't mean that, oh, God has let me down. It says, no, that's base your hope on me through this time. You can't hope for abundant finance. Again, the Bible does not back us up on that. In fact, he said, you look at numerous people that went without multiple times and they trusted in God daily for, for his provision. You can't hope for perfect health. Again, sometimes we fall back into that idea as Christians, I'm a Christian, I love God, I'm following God, I'm doing all the good things, God won't let that happen to me. Again, the Bible doesn't back that up. In fact, some people, like they, they hold on in the midst of their sickness and some people have chronic sickness, some people have an illness that takes their life very quickly. But and again, I've seen Christians who hold on to the hope of the certainty of knowing Jesus Christ throughout that time. We can't hope for people to do exactly what you want. Okay, some of you are disappointed by that, going, well, that's what I want to hold on to. I want to make sure my kids listen to me. My husband listened to me. My wife listened to me. My boss listened to me. We could sort of throw anything in there. I, I, want, I want politicians to do the things that I want and that's where I base my hope. No, no. God says often it's going to go against what you want. But that's not what we base our hope on. And we can't hope that there's going to be no trials in life. If that's where you want to check out and go, oh, there's going to be trials, I'm out of here. Well, there's only one sure way out of that. That's not a really good option. It means you're in a pine box up at the front of a church and people looking at you going, well, we lived a good life. That's the only way out of trials. But Romans 5 two, verses 2 to 4 says, because of our faith, 
Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So in the midst of trials, in the midst of hard times, you can actually confidently and look for, joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Verse 3 says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Again, anyone rejoiced any time of problems come their way this week? No one, at least you're all honest. Or maybe you're just too lazy to put your hand up, I'm not sure. But, but the thing is, most of us go, we don't rejoice when trials come our way. For we know that they help us to develop endurance. And endurance develops a strength of character and strength, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. See, one of the reasons that we have hope, one of the reasons that Christians around the world have hope in spite of their circumstance, and again, we will, most of us in, in this country, we have a car, we have a fridge, we have running water, we have a place to put over our head. So, in fact, we've got a pretty good. You've got pl- places around the world where they've got three families living in one hut. They've got to collect their water, they've got to collect their food each day. But again, their hope is not based in whether they've got a fridge or a hut or a fancy hut, whatever. Their hope is based in the fact that we actually have a hope of salvation. Now that hope of salvation becomes both a present thing and a future thing. We are saved both now and so therefore we're no longer under the condemnation of our sins and, and conviction of that. We are now set free to live a life that God wants us to live. So that's present, but then the future promise of that is eternity. We also have hope in the presence of Jesus Christ in our life. Now I don't know about you, but that's kind of a big deal the fact that I can face any situation in this world knowing that Jesus goes before me, behind me, beside me, like it's like I walk into a room surrounded by bodyguards no matter what I'm facing. When I, when I feel that my heart is breaking, Jesus is right there with me. When I feel I've got no strength left, Jesus says, rest in me and I will carry you through this. When I feel like I don't know where to go, Jesus says, don't worry, my GPS has never failed. That is what the promise of having the presence of Jesus Christ. And we can hope in that with certainty. Titus 3, 7, so, having that, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. That is a certain thing. It's a future thing, but it's a certain thing as Christians. We have a hope that is in eternity. And so sometimes the things that we worry about now will seem inconsequential when it comes to standing before God and being in his presence and knowing that our future is secured. Knowing that we worry about where the money coming to pay the bills next week. Knowing we don't know what to do in this coming year. Like, and and I'll, I'll tell you, there's times that has been in the, the past weeks, even days, where we're going, what, what God, what are you wanting us to do as that aside, though, we still have the hope that is sure. So even though I might go, God, I don't know what to do right now, God says, that's okay. I am present. I, my promise will hold true both now and for eternity. Now, the thing is, because we have this certainty of hope, and I don't know about you, maybe that's where you need to focus on for yourself right now. You know, you, you might need to get back into God's Word and go, what is God? What am I needing to hear from God today? What am I needing to fill up my life with? And so I can go from no hope to desperate hope to confidence in hope. 
But see, the thing is, once we are living in a hopeful way, once we are learning to live in that sure promise of God, there's something that changes for us. All of a sudden, we become vessels of hope. All of a sudden, God says, you, you've got hope to go on. You can actually pass that hope on to others. And that's what the Great Commission is. When, when Jesus had the disciples out, he said, I want you to go into all the world and tell them about me. You're actually spreading hope. You're actually spreading life. You're actually spreading purpose. You're actually pr- spreading a certainty when you do that. So now a vessel is meant to be filled up and then poured out like a jug. We, we, we fill up a jug so that we can pour it out. Don't, like most of us do, like some of us may not. Maybe we drink straight out of the cup and we sort of skip the vessel altogether. We, um, we drink straight out of the bottle, we skip the, the cup altogether. But most of the time we fill up a vessel to empty it out. That is what God wants to do with us. He is wanting to fill us up with the confidence of hope that we have in him so that we can pour it out for others. And this becomes so important when we're looking at rebuilding and walking with God because sometimes it may not be us that's struggling. There might be some people that have just taken a hit in their faith and they just are struggling to face each day. They're struggling to understand why God did this or why God did that. They're not sure about what the next day is. And so all of a sudden we can actually pour the hope that we have into their lives and encourage them. And see, we pick that up in verse 9 of chapter 5 because as Nehemiah heard the charges of the the people, he got really righteously angry about this, saying, this is not good enough. These people are without hope. They need hope. And so then he basically gathered the elders together. And we pick it up in verse 9. He says, then I press further. What you are doing is not right. Don't you hate when you have a conversation where they start there? That's, That's pretty much Nehemiah's starting point. Guys, you've messed up. Everyone's head goes down. You should not walk in fear of our God in order to avoid being... We Should you not be walking in fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? Saying, you know what, the, the nations around here are looking at it and going, you guys don't even look after yourselves. Your people are suffering and you don't even care for them. I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain and now... Um, let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves and our homes to them this very day and repay the interest you charged when you lent them money, grain, new wine and olive oil. And so the elders who had this surplus gave it back to the people. You imagine the people that were in a place where they didn't know where they were going on and all of a sudden, People became vessels of hope. Now, I'm not saying that's how we fulfil being vessels of hope, by giving people stuff. Sometimes we will be. Sometimes people go, you know what, I can't pay my electricity bill. And through either direct or indirect ways, money comes their way, and they go, oh, thank you, God. There's been times in my life when someone has given me something or God has provided in some way, and all of a sudden I'm going, that covers that and I don't need to stress about that. It takes that burden off. And all of a sudden, there's that little bit more of a spark of hope. And I go, and, and the trick is there to actually go, oh, thank you, God, for that. To, to realize, God, at that moment, you've actually given me that little bit extra. But this is where God wants to use us, to be vessels of hope, to be able to pour that into other people's lives. That could be seeing someone is down and just needing someone to come alongside and sit with them and going, hey, I know you're doing it tough. Don't worry, we're not in a rush. We're, we're, we're in this journey together. We're going to journey. 
It might be visiting people in their homes. It might be writing them a note. It might be like, it might be sort of saying, just really expressing, hey, hey we miss you. We love If you want to be vessels of hope, then you need to be willing to share your faith. Because if, if, if our faith brings us hope and we are filled with that, if we hold on to that, all of a sudden we don't and hold on to that, that hope in our lives. So again, that's another way we become vessels of hope. It can be taking someone alongside and, and encourage them to grow in a mature way in their faith and to, to, to cheer them on as they grow in their faith. As older Christians, we need to, to look at our younger people and cheer them on in their faith. It's great to see what you're doing. It's great to see you serving in that way. It's great to see you discovering God in more ways. Hey, you want to go on a mission trip? Hey, maybe I'll help you get there. And all of a sudden, we can cheer them on. So this becomes our challenge, that we are called to be a vessel of hope because we are have the confidence of hope because Jesus is a sure thing. He is a sure thing. Now, I'm not sure where you are today. Hopefully today you're not stuck at a place of no hope. Maybe you're at a point of desperation, and I will tell you this, grab onto Jesus with dear life. Grip on, grab him with your teeth if you need to. Both hands, grab him with your toes, do everything you can. Hold on in that desperation. What will happen? Jesus won't let you down. And all of a sudden that desperation becomes a certainty and all of a sudden instead of grabbing with your fingertips and holding on you're able to wrap your arms around Jesus and hold on and he holds on to you and in that we move to this place of having confidence and all that Jesus says to us at that point as we are filled with hope let us be able to pour it out in the world around us and I don't have all the answers how that will happen I'd love to hear how that may happen your life and how God has used the hope that is in your life to build hope in other people's lives. But don't hold on to the hope that you have. Pour it into the world that you live in and see God's hope being rebuilt, not only for our church, but for a world that is in desperate need of it. Let's just take some time to pray. Well, we, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our Saviour, the one who God who has faced a cross, who has faced death, has risen again and so therefore your promise to us is assured. And so Lord, I pray as today as we come and meet with you that you would encourage us for those here who are struggling with hope that you would give us a desperation to grab onto you with all our being. For those who are getting to the point where desperation is actually leading us to a place of confidence in you. Not a confidence in all the things that we want, but a confidence in a God who is present, a God who is, has saved us, a God who has forgiven us, a God who gives us grace, a God who is always with us no matter what trial we face, and a God who has secured our eternity. In that confidence, Lord, may we be filled with the blessing of your hope and may we pour it into the lives of those around us. May we pour it into people in our our workplace. May we pour it into our families. May we pour it into the lives of our neighbours. And Lord, where the opportunity arises, may we pour the hope that we have and that is certain in our lives. May we pour it into the lives of strangers. 
who are calling out for it as well. Lord, we thank you that our hope is not something that is in doubt or uncertain, but it is a sure thing but it is because it is based upon the rock who is Jesus Christ. I thank you for that hope that we can hold on to today. I pray that you would rebuild our hope for those who are struggling. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.